Welcome to Fearless Hustle Collective, a podcast for creative female entrepreneurs and a home to honest conversations about the ups and downs of running your own business. Hello and welcome to episode 17. Today's guest is Alice Benham, who is a digital marketing coach and podcast host. Alice set up her business at the age of 17 and we talk about what it takes to run an online business. Alice has just recently launched tickets for her new retreat, Gather and Grow, uh, with early bird tickets available until the 31st of January. So if you run a business and you're looking to delve deep into your business values, then this might be for you. So do check it out. I hope you enjoy listening and I'll see you next week. Hi, Alice. Hi, thanks for having me on the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. So for those who don't know you, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, I never quite know what to say when people ask this. I feel like I need like a copy and paste answer to put in. Um, my name's Alice. I am, I guess my official title is I'm a digital marketing coach. Um, I'm based in the UK. I'm a podcast host. And I work one-on-one with entrepreneurs and help them to establish effective strategies for their businesses in terms of online marketing. So that's kind of me. That sounds really exciting. So kind of going back a little bit, when you finished school, what did you go into this straight away or did you have any other jobs beforehand? Yeah, so it's a bit... I feel like a lot of people probably work for a certain number of years in the field that they start a business in, which I mean, makes sense because then you gain experience and contacts. But me being me did the absolute opposite of that. So I was halfway through my A-levels. So I just was sitting my AS exams. I think I was 17 at the time. Um, And I just didn't like school. I did very well at school, but it wasn't something that I enjoyed. I felt like it was a lot of pressure. I was just kind of like itching to go and do something. Um, So I was given an opportunity to work part-time within an events role, which is what I thought I wanted to work in. Um, And it was, I'd have to be self-employed to do it. So I set up a kind of, you know, just a business called Alice Benham. And then this company that I was planning to leave school to work for said, oh, well, we haven't got this events job ready right now. It's ready in two months. But until you do that, we need you to run our social media one day a week. So at that point, I was like, okay, I guess I probably can figure out my way to do that job for two months and then I'll pass it on and go on to the event stuff that I wanted to do. Um, But kind of without intentionally doing it, just absolutely fell in love with working through social media and the storytelling side of it. So within those two months, I'd built up other clients and I was working full time then as a social media manager so that when the two months was up and the company said, oh, here's your events role, we're ready for you to, you know, transition to your proper job now, I kind of turned around and said, well, I think I found something I enjoy more. And that was kind of where my business grew from. So it was just through, I guess, fortunate opportunities and saying yes and not really knowing what I was saying yes to. And then my business almost kind of spiraled out of that. So then I've obviously grown it from there and pivoted slightly along the way but yeah it was straight out of school so I was 17 when I started which was a whole experience in itself. Yeah but that's incredibly impressive and also to get it to a full-time job in two months is you know kind of unheard of I think. Yeah I think my naive 17 year old brain actually did me a good job in just saying yes to everything and taking risks. And I, I mean, I was that person that I'd be in a meeting and I'd say, yeah, I know how to do that. Like frantically Googling it when I went to the toilet in the middle of the meeting to check what it actually was. And they, like I was the definition of made it up as I go along. But um, I'd, I'd like to thank my naive and slightly probably senseless 17 year old self for getting me there because I'm not quite sure how I did it. But yeah, yeah no. it happened. <laughs> 
It's amazing. And so to begin with, you uh, managed the social media accounts for your clients. Is that what you did? Yeah, so I was working particularly with charities. That was just kind of the field that I found myself in um, and managing their social media and then slowly within. So that was at the start of 2016. And then by the end, I was full time. But I mean, full time to the point where I think there was one month where I invoiced for more days um, that there actually were in that month. Like I was completely overworking, um, had about 20 clients that I was doing it for. So managed to do that for about a year in social media management and then kind of just came to the end of 2016 and realized that the way I was working, it just wasn't sustainable. I completely burnt out and that was a whole nother episode of taking time out and rebuilding it. So it was at that point where I realized that I didn't necessarily want to do the work for people, but instead I found real joy in actually teaching them how to do it themselves. But yeah, for about a year I did social media management and learned my lessons and figured out that it wasn't the perfect fit for me. But thankfully from that kind of found myself where I am now. And you mentioned obviously kind of burning out and, and overworking quite a bit. And I think you've mentioned that quite a bit in, on your podcast and stuff. Um, how did that kind of come about? Obviously taking on probably more work than you could handle. And how did you come out of that, I suppose? Yeah, so it was, I mean, I actually remember it really clearly. I've run around me. I'm sure we all have that experience as business owners where we're very consumed by it. And everyone around me was saying, you know, you need to take some time off. You need to chill out you're going to burn out you're overworking yourself and I was just in this rhythm where it felt really exciting and it felt really quote-unquote successful so I couldn't really see the wood for the trees and to me because everyone was clapping me and saying you know it's amazing what you've done you're you're 17 you're 18 you've got a full-time business like wow whereas actually I think whenever I stopped and really thought about it I wasn't that happy and I wasn't loving it but I didn't really think much of that and then it was in the January of 2017 I ended up taking a week off of work out of the kind of demands of everyone around me saying that I needed to and I remember that first day that I took a day off and just realizing that without my work and without my laptop I didn't really feel anything I know it sounds probably quite dramatic but I I think because I was so young I had almost borrowed myself to a place where all I did was work and I realized that without that I didn't really have any hobbies I didn't have a ton of friends around me that I was really seeing often or creating relationships with I realized I didn't really know what I enjoyed doing that wasn't working um so that one week off turned into two weeks off turned into six months off um within that time I got diagnosed with depression so I already had anxiety at that point but then went to the doctors um was diagnosed with depression which to me I think I had always been there but was probably almost magnified by the burnout and by me kind of being just completely broken by the way that I was working and then spent six months kind of slowly rebuilding myself through a whole different kind of mix of um, medical help and kind of therapy and just trying to figure out who I was and what I wanted to do and then off the back of that kind of in the September of last year began to rebuild my business in a way that was hopefully now and I can say is a lot more sustainable and not putting me in a place where I'm burning out or overworking but it's something that I don't think I've ever felt like I've got right I always feel like I'm somewhere on the wrong end of the spectrum and I always keep having to check myself to make sure I'm not you know pushing myself too far or getting back into that same rhythm yeah I think it's very easy to actually fall into that trap and as you say I mean I really love what I do so I do focus on work a hell of a lot and actually Mm. having time away from it and even you know if I'm reading I'm reading books about business or how to better myself in that kind of area so actually I'm not taking 
a lot of time out just to enjoy other stuff that isn't work related yeah you're so true it's hard when you love what you do and like it's it's especially I think when you turn it in from a hobby into a job which I didn't do but I can imagine is really difficult because then you're in a position where the thing that you once did to relax or the thing you once did to kind of really enjoy life then becomes your job and that's a whole different thing to navigate so it is hard it's you know especially when there's still stuff to do at the end of the day forcing yourself to stop I'm still not really mastered the whole boundaries and <laughs> not actually working 24-7 thing but yeah it's a work in progress definitely and I think everyone experiences it in some way or another like you said. Yeah absolutely and so now looking back obviously at the kind of time out that you had um how do you mm. manage your kind of work life balance I guess now to avoid um, burnout? Yeah I think the biggest changes would be what how my business is built so I did a lot of work when I was returning to work at the back end of last year, I think I realized that actually there wasn't just something wrong with the way I was working. There was something wrong with the work I was doing. Um, I just realized that for me being on constant retainers with companies and having very kind of specific things that I had to do every single day was just too much. I didn't know. I, I couldn't kind of split the divide between when I wasn't working, when I was, because it felt like there was always more to do. Um, and I really struggled with, you know, it was hard to take time off because I always had to create stuff and put stuff out there. And I never quite felt like I was really finished or done. So kind of rebuilding my business as a coach where actually I just work with people and help them to do the stuff actually for me is a lot easier because I can almost put that in a box and say, well, okay, I've done my coaching calls for today and now that's my job done. And that's my, and then it's, it's up to them kind of what they do with that conversation and what they do with what we've worked together on. Um, but I mean, practically, I, I find it hard because I work at home. So I'm sure a lot of people have this. It's hard to create like a specific divide. But for me, having a specific office room in my house that I go to when I work and I leave when I'm not working, um, I delete social media at the weekends so that I'm not on it because it feels too much like work and I have to just pull myself away from it. All the classic things like not sleeping with my phone in my room and taking emails off of my phone and things like that just to try and help me create a slightly healthier balance between the two but it's definitely a work in progress and not something that I've mastered at all but kind of just I guess just trying to do small things that help me get closer to having a divide between the two because it was also very true that when I was working 12 hour days I actually wasn't getting a ton done I was almost stuck at my desk the whole time and not really nourishing myself and everything was actually taking me a lot longer than it probably does now so I guess just trying to value that actually when I fill up my cup it allows me to kind of do my job a lot better if that makes sense yeah that in a really weird way no no it makes sense and I think um it's about kind of working productively as well because you can Mm. you can be sat at the desk for however many hours you want but actually after a certain point um your productivity is is just not going to be there is it yeah, and I think a huge part is just giving yourself permission because mm. I think what was something I've really had to come to terms with and I'm still kind of just getting there with is that there's always going to be something more to do. And I like that's a horrible phrase to come to terms with because it is, it's really difficult to have that ex- exist alongside creating boundaries because when you love what you do and you really want your business to succeed, it's hard to take time away because why would you want to stop doing something you love or why would you want to stop building something which you're really passionate about? But for me, when I, like, if I 
get to 3 p.m. and I realize that I'm just in a completely bad headspace and I need to get out of the house. But I'm kind of counteracted by the fact that I've got loads to do and there's loads to be there. I'm kind of learning to give myself that permission to say, hey, I know there's always going to be more to do. That can wait. Actually, this is the priority right now. Um, and to me, that's kind of the biggest part is valuing, actually, like you said, what that space does to you as opposed to what kind of rushing to get that thing done actually does for your business. Because I think a lot of the time things aren't as urgent or as needed as we think they are but it feels like that when your head's in it doesn't it it feels like everything like is the end of the world and it feels like it's got to be done right now yeah absolutely and especially when you're working with clients I can't yeah that's a big part isn't it you want to go above and beyond no I totally get that and do you have kind of set hours that you work now or is that kind of just flexible as to you know how you're feeling each day yeah so I try and be fairly flexible I do work well with some form of boundaries I think still being quite young um I think so much in my life feels like it's changing that I have to have some constant so I'm I'm a big believer in like I batch work different days so my days are really heavily themed Monday is the day that I do my admin and my personal content Tuesday Wednesday my client days and that's all I do on a Tuesday and a Wednesday and that's also the only days I have meetings or phone calls so like this recording is on a Tuesday because I wouldn't have it on any other day because these are almost my two packed days. And then for me, Thursday, Friday, I never schedule anything in. They're completely clear. And they're the days where I kind of work on behind the scenes projects or I do long term kind of work in my business or kind of work on my business, that kind of stuff. Um, And then in terms of hours, it completely differs. But I think a big thing for me has been figuring out actually when I work best and almost finding that spot between when I work best and when I enjoy working because actually for me those are two different things I enjoy working in normal hours but actually I work really well very early in the morning which I don't enjoy when the alarm goes off (laughs) at 6am so I tend to work about 6am to 1pm and then I take most of the afternoon off and then work evening Um, I'm like a potato in the afternoon so for me it's been yeah interesting giving myself permission to kind of just figure out what my schedule looks like but it's definitely been a help in creating some boundaries by having almost set office hours even though they're not kind of the normal nine to five mm, yeah you've mentioned recently on one of your podcasts this is kind of changing the subject a little bit sure <laughs> um you mentioned that uh whilst you had time off and stuff you ended up getting a really large tax bill that you weren't quite ready for or perhaps yes. you were ready for you'd had saved up but um Mm-hmm. You, you then kind of use that money as, when when you had the time off so how did you kind of deal with that I'm kind of interested to know because I, I think budgeting for your tax bill it sounds easy technically <laughs> right because yeah you, you people know just how say much... don't know just put 20 percent away and it's like well yeah. it's much easier said than done. yeah exactly but actually the the physical doing of that because you've got outgoings each month you've got to pay yourself there's all sorts of different things coming in uh, into mm. the mix so how did you kind of um, deal with that uh, tax bill? I'm I so and... glad you've asked this. I feel like it's such a... It, it, I'm really glad that I first mentioned it on that episode because I was terrified to talk about it. I would, if Probably if it wasn't a, a guest episode where I talked about it, I probably never would have because there's so much shame and so much guilt surrounding money, particularly handling money badly. Mm. Um, so to, ca- to catch people up to speed, it was... The first year of my business, when I was very quote unquote successful doing social media management, I made a lot of money compared to what I make now and compared to what 
a 17 year old would make it was very it, my business was significantly like financially successful I mean obviously keep in mind that I was making myself mentally ill at the same time but obviously I made a lot of money so my tax bill was very high um well not very high my tax bill was a lot of money and I had that money saved up I lived lived at home then I still do live at home now um but uh taking that six months off of work becoming kind of aware of my mental illness giving myself space to rebuild myself and rebuild my business was an expensive thing um I'd obviously been used to having quite a high income which was something that I was just used to at that point so I didn't really stop and think that I needed to change that so within those six months taking time off I mean I went with private therapy and I took quite a lot of holidays and looking back I wasn't very conscious about money but I'm glad I spent the money because I think it helped me get better and get me to where I am now but I basically long story short spent that tax saving money so that when it came round to the following January which was the January of this year um, I didn't have that money to pay and this is probably where me being quite young comes into play is, is the fact that I didn't talk about it at all. I didn't tell anyone. I didn't tell my parents. I didn't tell my friends. My boyfriend at the time, I didn't tell. Um, it just felt so shameful. I felt stupid. Um, I'm actually part-time trained to be an accountant. So I felt so dim knowing what I know, but still not doing that. I just didn't tell anyone. And then it got to the point where it was about six months on from the tax deadline. So it was this summer and I was away for a month. And my parents texted me saying, oh, there's loads of brown envelopes for you at home. And I was like, I obviously knew in my head what that was. Mm. And that was, I'd buried my head in the sand and HMRC were coming after me. Um, and I was obviously kind of met with this thing of, okay, I need to do something about it. So I came home after being um, away for the summer and just had to sit down with my dad, and who is very financially kind of, aware and was very helpful with it but just said look I've made a huge mistake I owe thousands in tax I have some of that money I don't have all of it I don't know what to do um and looking back I just wish that I told someone I wish that I talked yeah, about it yeah second I did a it felt less of a weight on me but also the second that I called up HMRC and said hey here's what's happened this is the story of why I spent the money uh, like I'm really sorry how can I work to get this paid they were so helpful they took away all of the charges they gave me a payment plan like they just made it such an easy situation and so manageable but I totally understand why me in the January didn't want to say anything and didn't want to talk about it is because it did feel so almost shameful and something to be guilty of um so the the way that I paid it back was I had some of my own savings I had to spend my tax money for this coming year which I've managed to save back up which is fine now um I obviously lived quite a strict budget for a couple of months I had to borrow some money from my dad um and just kind of did what I could to pay it back in the time that I needed to but it was an interesting experience and one that I've definitely learned from um, and I've now paid my tax bill already for the next year. So ah, check you out. <laughs> I was very late on the first year and ahead on the second year. So hopefully I'll learn from it. But yeah, it was an experience and a half and something that I'm, I'm glad is being talked about because it, if I'd heard someone else had made the same mistake as me, I probably would have had the confidence to talk about it. But I just felt so awful for doing that and for making that mistake. Yeah, no, I think it's it's definitely important to talk about these things. And I think as we do open up about it, it like you say, obviously you've you talked to your dad about it and it must have felt you must have felt so much better um for doing so. Yeah. And I think obviously once you have shared that with someone, they can then 
help you look at ways in which you can rectify it and, and ways in which you can sort it out as opposed to you just panicking, I guess. Um, yeah, totally. Yeah. But it is funny, isn't it? I think it's, it's something that looking back, I just think, oh, I don't know why I just didn't tell someone. But I totally remember how consumed I felt by it and how awful, like I, it was the kind of, you know, as you'd imagine in the movies of waking up in the night and just feeling really anxious about it and feeling really kind of uncertain about what's going to happen. But I mean, if I ever found myself in the same situation, I think I would just encourage myself, like, don't bury your head in the sand because it doesn't get you anywhere. Even though short term, it's what you want to do because it's comfortable and you don't have to have that hard conversation. It's never quite going to be the best one to go with. No, no, absolutely. I think, yeah, just kind of facing it head on, I guess. (laughs) is yeah. the best way forward easier said than done but yeah yeah no absolutely be... no no I, I totally agree that it's easier said than done because I I think that there is a huge amount of shame associated with um money in general I think and obviously if you're in debt in any way that can be very that can feel very shameful and I think um I was chatting to Julia Day actually not too long ago about um some groups that you can join on Facebook and um, it's all about kind of handling money and what people do to save up and all that kind of stuff and it's actually so refreshing to just hear people's normal people's stories you know people who just yeah. have ordinary jobs and they have to make changes to save up to you know put a deposit down or whatever it might be or clear debt or whatever it might be so yeah it's definitely important to kind of open the conversation up I guess totally to me it's been like the biggest a light revelation to me is just how much has changed since I've started talking about money and coming to terms with it and having those conversations and realizing what an impact it makes when we're the ones to kind of start that conversation and begin to open it up because I think it does make a difference we do often and this isn't a generalization here but a lot of people who run their own businesses particularly those who are an American will often market with their almost salary at the forefront of their marketing they'll say you know build a six-figure business like I did or how I made, you know, six figures in my first two months or something like that. And I think we can see that and just subconsciously it tells us that everyone else is doing so much better than us and no one else is experiencing the same kind of financial worries or concerns or dealing with the same stuff. But I think the second that we start opening up about it, I think you start realizing that everyone else has either been in or is in a very similar situation to you. And actually there isn't shame. Actually, there's a lot of power when we do that. But again, it, it's been a process getting there. But I'm really glad that I'm on the other side of actually now just seeing money as something that's really, I quite enjoy talking about it. I find it quite fun. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's an important topic. So definitely. Um, I wanted to ask you about a course that you um, talked about recently and how it never quite made it to uh, the launch, really. Yeah. Um. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that and how well what what did you learn from that experience I guess yeah totally so this is when I was returning to work at the back end of last year just taking all that time off was kind of ready to rebuild my business and create something a lot more sustainable um and at the time for context I was completely disconnected from any form of community that whole first year in business I didn't know anyone else who was my age that ran a business I literally thought I was like the most unique person ever. I didn't think that anyone else was, you know, 18 and ran a business. Turns out 
a lot of people do and I was just not speaking to the right people but I was so disconnected from what the industry was like and what was working um but I was very connected to a lot of American marketers and a lot of American um entrepreneurs and a lot of American entrepreneurs make a lot of money selling online courses particularly within marketing um and because I was almost looking up to these people I was in their communities I was listening to their podcast, downloading their content. When I was thinking at the back end of last year, you know, what's my what's my plan? What am I going to offer? What's my business going to be? For me, an online course was the really logical thing. I saw all these people making incredible amounts of money doing it. And I thought, well, I know the same stuff that they know because I know a lot about digital marketing. Um, so I guess I'll just do that. <laughs> me again in my kind of naive young person's brain just wrote a course did absolutely nothing to market it um I think part of the reason why I did nothing to market it was because I it didn't feel like a good fit for me and it wasn't you know a, kind of something that felt very natural to me but I genuinely just did it because I thought well that's what you need to do if you want to build a business that doesn't require all your time or loads of one-on-one -on -one with clients but you can still make a good amount of money from um and also for context at that point I had no form of audience who were connected to my business I had followers online but it was all friends and family or people that I knew of no one who was relevant to this course that I was going to launch so it ended up getting to the point where I'd kind of created all the content and actually I'm really glad I did that because I still use all the content now with clients and with workshops and events that I do um but I just never launched it I got around to putting it together and filming it and I just instantly knew kind of gut instinct that it didn't feel right and it wasn't a good fit for me um, I did spend uh, money on Facebook adverts and made some weird old sales funnels because, again, that's what I thought was the magic equation for an online business being successful. But oh, yes, really the, what I learned. From yeah, sorry, the, the good old sales funnel. Yeah, I literally thought I was like, OK, so if I spend enough on Facebook adverts and make a sales funnel and an offer an online course at the end of it, I'm going to make tens of thousands of pounds and shock horror even like I hadn't even made the course, but I still did the funnel and the ads because I was like, oh, it's fine. When, when they sign up, it'll be ready. And then no one signed up. And I had a lot of inquiries actually from those Facebook ads, but they were all for coaching and one-on-one -on -one work, which from that I was then like, oh, okay. So people are interested in this content, but nobody wants it as an online course. So maybe I need to rethink what I'm doing. Um, so it was an interesting process. It was quite difficult really to return to work having been so quote unquote successful in that first year, returning and dealing with like an immediate thing failing or not working out as I told everyone else it would, was really hard to deal with. It wasn't, it, it sounds very arrogant, but failure wasn't something that I'd really learned about yet or experienced yet being quite kind of young and naive, which I probably still am. Um, so that was an interesting experience. But one, again, that I'm looking back, glad it happened at the time, definitely wasn't because it taught me a lot about who my people are and what they want and actually the importance of creating stuff that feels like a good fit for you and not just doing something because so-and-so said that it's going to make you loads of money. Actually, if it doesn't feel like a good fit for you, I don't think it's going to be a good fit for who you want it to be for regardless. Yeah, yeah. no, totally. I think uh, there's a lot of noise with regards to sales funnels and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, on online courses or anything that seems popular at the moment <laughs> that seems to be the thing the next thing that we all need to be doing and actually like you say yeah. I think it's very important to kind of um remember the audience that you're creating something for so it's not going to necessarily fit for everybody um but do you think uh you would consider creating an online course at some point later on I might regret saying this 
but I don't <laughs> think so. Okay. I think online courses can be great fits for people. I just don't think it works for me. The thing that I love about what I do is the one-on-one aspect. Um, I get the appeal of doing an online course. I was listening to a podcast. It was Letters from a Hopeful Creative by Sarah Tasker and Jane Carrington. And they were talking about, it was actually that that was me talking about my failed online courses prompted by them doing an episode about it. And one of the really interesting things that I agreed with that Sarah said is that she created an online course because she was having the same conversations with clients over and over again, which in a way I can agree with. I do find that I'm often having the same conversation about Instagram or email marketing or whatever with clients, with different people, the same thing. But to me, the thing that I really love about what I do is seeing that moment where a client goes, oh my gosh, that makes so much sense. Oh, I've got this idea. Here's how I can do that. Or what do you think of this? I can work with that. I just don't know if I would find it a bit faceless and kind of like there's a lack of connection there, but don't hold me to that because I'm sure if I figured out doing it in a way that I still kept that and I know there's ways of doing that. Um, but yeah, to me, it's it's the personal thing that I think is also what why people pay me and why people work with me. It's not... For my knowledge, I think people do it for me, which I don't mean in an arrogant way, but just in knowing that, I mean, everything that I teach, you can find on a podcast episode or a blog post somewhere. So it's not that they're paying for the invaluable information. I think they're paying for someone to create space for them. So I don't know how that would work in a course, but yeah, don't don't hold me to it. I don't know. (laughs) And you also have an exciting launch happening now um, for for kind of a new thing. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yes. So whilst at the time we're recording this, I'm under a week away from launching it. But by the time this goes out, it'll be all out there in the world, which is both exciting, but really terrifying. Um, So what it is, it's called Gather and Grow. And it's a retreat for female entrepreneurs. Um, It's three days worth of workshops uh, designed to help women level up what they do and create space for them to almost work on their businesses alongside Likewise, entrepreneurs and myself and two other coaches who will be joining me with it. So it's, I mean, I'm guessing unless it's sold out, which I'm pretty sure it won't have by the time this episode goes out, um, it will be live and people will be able to join, which is really exciting. But it's due for the spring of next year. So it's been a process launching it, but I'm really excited to see if it feels like it's a good fit for people and see who joins me with it. So, yeah, that's been a a big project that I'm ready to put out into the world in a couple of days time yeah and no, that sounds really exciting and how long so so when when did you have the idea first I guess how long has it been in the works funnily enough it's not actually been the hugest timeline I was scrolling through Airbnb because I'm a bit of a like I love interiors and love homes which makes me sound really lame <laughs> but I was scrolling through Airbnb and I came across this really beautiful converted barn um, and I looked at it and I was like oh my gosh I would love to do something at this barn it's gorgeous it's in the middle of nowhere in Somerset and it's got a hot tub and a pool and a sauna and this gorgeous living room and I was like that would be amazing for a retreat and then my brain like I'm one of those people where if I have an idea and I give it the space it needs I just completely run with it so from that point I was kind of thinking okay if I did a retreat what would it look like who would it be for I began to research others out there kind of realized that there wasn't anything UK based there's no other real retreats for female entrepreneurs based in the UK there's a lot in America and quite a few in Europe but I realized it was kind of the first of its kind here and then just started doing stuff so emailed my copywriter and my web designer and a couple of the other girls that work with me and just said look I've got this idea 
Let, let's run with it and just see. And I almost kept the ball rolling and kept reaching out to people who would get involved until the point where I had to start spending money on it, where I then was like, okay, I guess I'm going to have to decide right now if I really am going to do this and realize that it was a risk I wanted to take. Um, so it's probably been about two months in the making up to today, but it was it, within about two weeks, I decided I was going to do it and I'd reached out to everyone involved and it was kind of underway. So it was <laughs> a funny two weeks feeling like everything was getting a bit crazy, but one that I'm glad I'm acted on my Airbnb intuition. Mm. Yeah, I think it's funny um, when we first have those ideas, it can feel, well, I think all the way up to the launch and throughout launch, it can feel very scary actually to put something out into the world that's possibly new and you haven't done before. So it, yeah, it's it's a, an interesting process altogether. Mm, I think particularly when you're showing up a lot online and it's it's at the point where you're not talking about it yet or you're not creating anticipation and it feels like you're like hiding this huge thing or you're you're doing something that's taking up all of your time but you're not talking about it or sharing it. I think that's the point where it, that for me was the important part where I was really keen on telling all my friends and family about it because I knew that I needed kind of support and community and a bit of accountability with it. I was aware that doing it all by myself on my own and not talking about it anywhere was quite a weird experience so I made a real effort to tell a lot of my friends and family and have conversations about it almost helped it to feel a bit more real otherwise it was just this weird project that I was alluding to on Instagram but yeah. kind of not really saying anything about. Now it's interesting you mentioned accountability actually because I think that that's a huge part of when when you do launch something or you put out mm. a new product that accountability can be so important actually because it's so easy to start freaking out and all of a sudden you're thinking no I actually I can't do this or I'm not good enough for this or people won't want to buy it and you start getting through all the kind of self-doubt motions I guess yeah I think that's what well I mean that's kind of what makes us entrepreneurs isn't it is that we're full of ideas and that we're creative in kind of whatever box we put that into but I think the difficult thing that particularly I find and I see with my clients a lot is knowing which ideas should actually turn into a real thing and then having almost a bit of a cheerleader along the way to help you do that because it is really hard when there's almost so many things we could do like the reality is when we work online and the kind of we have the internet in front of us we can create whatever we want pretty much we can follow through on any idea we have it's sometimes hard to know which to go with and then almost have the kind of certainty to continue with that thing and have that security I think I've definitely had to almost come to peace with the fact that I have absolutely no clue how this new project is going to go down until it launches and that is terrifying but I think that's the reality of it I think if I waited not to feel scared before launching something I would never launch anything new or I would definitely never launch anything that would make a real difference because I'd be playing it safe so for me it's it's not to meet that fear with, okay, that's a red flag, therefore I shouldn't do it. It's to meet that fear with, okay, how can I maybe make it a bit ri less risk-filled or can I surround myself with people to help me feel a bit more encouraged or have accountability to make sure it actually happens and meet the fear that way as opposed to meeting it with not doing that thing, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it makes total sense. I think it's very easily done to feel the fear and just completely turn around and be like no I can't do it I'm not doing it yeah <laughs> no I think <laughs> which is easy to do and I, like we've all been there I don't think there's any shame with that but I think when you have an idea that really puts fire in your belly and it excites you I think that's when you know okay 
this might be terrifying, but I think I need to follow through on this and just see. And like we said before we press record on both, we've both got kind of projects going on at the moment. You never quite know how it's going to go, but either way you learn from it and whatever you do with that knowledge is going to put you in the right direction. So I think, I think that's the most important thing is to remember that actually whatever happens, you're still going to learn stuff. There's going yeah. to be takeaways to, to kind of get from that experience altogether. So yeah, it's, 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 you've got to remind yourself to stay positive in that sense, I guess. Yeah, I totally agree. And I just think someone, everything that's currently out there right now, someone was the first one to do that. So if you feel like looking around, you thought of something that no one else is doing and that terrifies you, I think actually that should excite you because it means that you've got the opportunity to make a real mark. And all that means that you've got no one to necessarily copy or go by in terms of how you're going to design it or price it or whatever else. Actually, it's quite an exciting thing when you've found something really new because you've then got an opportunity to really make a difference with that. So I just think I've never regretted acting on a random idea that I've had in the shower. And as long as I keep doing that, I think things are going all right. Yeah, exactly. And it keeps things fresh and exciting as well, I think. Yeah, I think we've got to be excited by businesses, haven't we? I think it's hard to, when it becomes your job and before it was your hobby or it was just something that you kind of enjoyed on the sidelines, when it becomes full time, you've got to keep it as something that excites you and makes you want to wake up in the morning so to me having exciting projects going on in the background always helps with that um whether they actually happen or not who knows but it's quite fun to kind of dream and work on things in the behind the scenes it's a nice feeling really and how do you separate those ideas that are that you you know have potential to be really great ideas and those that Mm. kind of are well feel exciting to begin with perhaps but actually aren't right fit I think for me the biggest question I always just ask is why like why do I feel that I want to do this if if at any point I feel like I should be doing something I just don't do it for example I have felt like in the whole of my business I should be writing and I should be blogging but I'm not a natural writer and I have the podcast and I have my mailing list and there's so much that I'm already putting out there that I just can't at the moment sustain a blog and I don't really want to so for me that was like okay well if I really bring it back to why do I feel like I want to do this thing and if it comes back to a should I'm instantly like okay I'm not going to do that unless it's something that I feel really passionate about and has come from me and then I guess how I whittle those ideas down is just by understanding what it would really look like in kind of the big picture of my business. I'm quite a kind of strategic and long-term person I try not to I try and almost level how much time I'm spending in my business as I do on it. So whenever I'm thinking of an idea such as this retreat, I'm not just thinking what would the first one look like? I'm thinking if this grew and it, you know, I was hosting three a year, what would that look like? Is that a business that I want to build in five years time? Is that somewhere that I want to be? So I guess I just question everything. And I think question like every idea, even the really weird ones that you have when you're in the shower or just before you're falling asleep, I think, a lot of the things that I've ended up doing have been totally on the whim ideas that have felt quite um, kind of random or not necessarily like they've got a lot of weight to them. But actually, when I begin to, began to explore it and ask myself, why do I want to do this? What's this going to look like for me? Then I've really fallen in love with it. And I'm, I think I'm a big believer as well in gut instinct. I think we know our business is better than anyone else does. So as good as it is to get other people's perspectives, I tend to always keep things a bit secret until it's kind of in the works because I find it quite hard to get input if I haven't already um, kind of given it the yes or no. I think we almost have to sometimes protect our things within our own kind of control until we're ready for them 
to almost be prodded at by other people or to go out into the world. Yeah. Mm. But yeah, I don't Amazing. know. I isn't it? Figuring out what's going to work for you and what isn't. We've all got different ideas of what success looks like. So I guess it's different for everyone to figure Absolutely. out. Absolutely, yeah. I think it's just, yeah, exactly. It's taking it back all the way to what it is that you've mentioned. What do you want to be doing in, in you know, five years' time, for example? Is mm. this something that you actually want to be doing or is it something that you have seen someone else do maybe and think, oh, I could do that. But actually, is there kind of a longevity there, I suppose? Yeah, totally. So kind of to, coming towards the end of our chat, um, obviously the retreat is one of the goals I would say for the coming year and one of the things that you'll be focusing on. What other goals do you have for the coming year? Oh gosh, next <laughs> year. It's actually a podcast episode I'm recording this week about my goals for next year. So this is probably helpful that you're making me talk about it now and think about it. Um, what would I love to do next year? I mean, one of my goals for this year, which I didn't manage to do, and I it wouldn't have fit in with me anyway, um, is so I've got quite a few, well, I say quite a few, I've got two or three people that work for me um, like a couple of days a week. They do either admin or copywriting or kind of different things and functions within my business. I'd love to grow that team and outsource a lot more of what I do. I'd love to get myself out of the house a couple of days a week and find some form of co-working space near to me or just have a space that I can maybe create a bit more separation with. But I guess business-wise, my biggest kind of goal at the moment is growing my podcast. So I absolutely love my podcast. It's like my real passion projects and kind of baby and my business that I'm just falling in love with all the time. So for me, to continue growing that, it kind of where it's going at the moment would be a real thing that I'd love to do. And then I guess just continue working with my clients. I don't feel like I've got any revolutionary things coming up in the next year. I just want to keep going as I am now and build on what I've got at the moment, really. So probably nothing too spectacular, but kind of just see where things go and keep saying yes to stuff and see what happens with that. (laughs) I guess the retreat is probably my, I mean, I said I haven't really got anything big going on. I think that's probably my thing. (laughs) I was going to say, yeah, that's a bit, that's a, definitely a big thing. And also, it doesn't have to be big, does it? I mean, sometimes it's quite nice to just have that space to reassess and just c- continue the work that you're doing. It doesn't need to drastically change each year, does it? Totally, yeah. And I think for me, it's, it's got to a place where my business makes me money and I enjoy it and it feels like it's making an impact. So for me now, it's looking at how I can make that more sustainable and work in a way that's more, I guess even even better for myself in terms of my mental health and in kind of terms of my lifestyle so I guess almost just take what I've got now and see how I can make it better and go from there but like you said it's nothing wrong with not doing crazy things I think it's sometimes nice to take things a bit slow and just always enjoy what you've got rather than keep going for the next best thing definitely it's very easily done to do one thing and then yeah just think about the next thing that you're working on but actually it's Mm. quite nice to stop and just enjoy what you've created and you you know acknowledge your achievements as well yeah because we put so much work into it don't we and then we achieve that thing or launch that thing and then we just move straight on to the next one yeah, as opposed to kind yeah. of t- take it in and be like okay with this time last year I really wanted to do that and now I've done that I should celebrate that so yeah. it's definitely something I think I'm working on and trying to do I guess it's nice timing where at the moment with kind of the new year so trying to do a bit more of that and celebrate kind of what's gone before rather than just think about what's coming up next yeah exactly definitely and you've mentioned outsourcing is that something you've been doing for a long time or is that a new kind of thing that you've adopted 
Um, I never quite know what new means. I've had my business for like three years. Yeah, it's so a tough I, one. <laughs> I guess I'm always like, I feel like it's always new. Like, I don't feel like I'm, I'm surrounded by people who are like, been doing their business for like 10 years. And I'm like, yeah, just make it up as I go along here. Um, but so yeah, the first year of my business, I didn't outsource anything, which is probably part of the reason why I burnt out. Um, but yeah, within the last six months, it's been a really powerful thing for me to do. I think outsourcing it's a difficult topic because I, I was in the position probably six months ago, even when I was looking to outsource where I couldn't really afford to do it. I wasn't, I was making enough money to sustain me and sustain my business, but I wasn't really making enough to pay anyone else anything, particularly pay people for tasks that I could do myself. That felt quite luxurious and kind of wasteful. Yeah. Um, I think, I think I, that's, that's one of the problems um, most people have when it comes to outsourcing is that actually you, you could technically do that, do all of those things. But it's about yeah. saving time and, and being more efficient, I guess. Yeah, exactly. So I met, I think it was just a month where I made a bit more money than I normally would. I think I just had a couple of, well, I mean, I have new clients come in on certain months. So I think it was the start of one of those months. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to try. So I brought on a copywriter. I brought on a website editor. Both of those don't work for me probably maybe worked for me like a day a month or so and then I've got a girl that works for me one day a week so she does kind of personal admin and business admin which has been a life changer like it feels like such a a luxurious expense but she's just like the best person ever and just takes so much off my plate that to me feels really taxing work but to her she just gets it done instantly Um, and like you said it's looking at it from the angle not as an expense but actually when I invest in someone to do my inbox for me or sort my calendar or plan podcast episodes or write my show notes or design my website refresh um it's not that I'm then using that time to sit at home and chill out whilst I'm paying them to work but then I've got four more hours a week where I can work with clients and those four more hours is so much more valuable than the cost of getting a personal assistant or a copywriter for four hours um so it's kind of trying to see it in that way and I'm so glad I did it because I definitely wouldn't have the business that I have now without outsourcing and I love it as well it's nice to work with other people and not feel like I'm the only one doing things so yeah Yeah. it's been a real it's probably the biggest investment I've made this year but the best one I probably have made is is getting people to join me and I guess I've got a team which feels a bit weird to say but we're all kind of everyone works remotely so I haven't met met any of them but yeah we're all working together which is really nice yeah sounds good and um how did you kind of find um, each one of those kind of people to work with you? Where Just you all look? through communities. So I think most, the majority that I met through the Coven, which is one of the membership platforms that I'm a part of. Um, but I mean, I, I, it sounds difficult because this time last year I was connected to absolutely no one, but now I'm in a position where quite naturally you just meet people online who do similar stuff to you. So all of them were people that I'd, had on my podcast or I'd had conversations with or my friends had worked with and I just knew that they'd be a good fit for my business I mean I was as much as I say I mean I just outsourced like it was easy I was very intentional about picking people that were a good fit for my business and I knew would get what I was about and what kind of my mission was but yeah it was just people that I asked for recommendations or I put messages in Facebook groups and then just kind of really thought about what I wanted from people but it's been yeah something I'm really grateful I did but looking back it was a lot quite a bit of work getting everyone to the point where actually it was making more money than it was costing but definitely an investment worth making yeah no it sounds like it. it's definitely something that I've been considering for a while so 
um hence all the questions <laughs> <laughs> no I recommend it just think about like what's the things that I think for me outsourcing I, I took it very slowly so I started actually outsourcing my copywriting because to me I mean if you read a blog post I wrote they're just not good like I'm just not a good writer I'm a okay speaker I can write Instagram captions I can't write anything that's bigger than a caption so for me I started hiring someone to do stuff and then almost saw the value of that and then began to outsource the rest so I think it's also taking it in baby steps yeah. it's not about suddenly hiring five people to work with you one day a month and almost be you know paying all this money out but actually can you just outsource your photo editing or your inbox or even like your client onboarding and just give away the parts that maybe don't give you joy or you're not amazing at so that someone who's good at it can do it better than you can and then you've got all this time to do what you do best which is kind of the reason why we do what we do isn't it so we get to spend all day doing what we love which I mean doesn't always happen but it's the dream I guess yeah yeah something to strive towards yeah exactly (laughs) right so to finish off I ask all of my guests two questions um what's your favorite book that you've recently read and would recommend Oh gosh, I'm such a bookworm. I feel I hate this question because I'm like I want to mention everything. <laughs> um, I guess non-businessy book. Can I say two? Is that okay? I'm really quick. Yeah, of course. Non-businessy book favorite is Becoming by Michelle Obama. Yeah. Um, I'm just finishing it right now. It's like the best book ever. She's so amazing. I've got the audio book. She's got like the most soothing voice. It's a really great book. Really fascinating. Um, and then slightly more probably factual book I guess um I just finished reading Feminists Don't Wear Pink by Scarlett Curtis that was such a good read it's like a collection of essays from different actresses and comedians and famous women talking kind of personal essays about what feminism means to them and that was a really fascinating read as well so both slightly different but yeah both good books and business books wise yeah I'll, I'll stop it too but there's a lot of books <laughs> I could talk all day about books sounds really good lame. thank you and uh who would you like to hear interviewed on the podcast I know you have your own so it's a bit Gosh. difficult isn't it when you've got your own uh oh, I think that's an to think exciting about. question though so Charlotte who is my copywriter from Media Lux I would love to hear on a podcast she was on mine quite a while ago and she is just amazing I don't think she gets enough credit or enough reach for what she does she runs a brand communications company and she also has um kind of a membership well not a membership group but she has a community called flock and form um and she's the most lovely person to work with and just is really great at what she does so i would say charlotte and i'll yeah i'll pick her (laughs) she's really great perfect no that sounds great um i'll follow charlotte on on instagram as well so um oh she's so lovely Great She's been like my personal hero of this year. I always email her just saying, I really love you. You've really <laughs> changed my life. Thank you. <laughs> Amazing. Okay, well, thank you so much for your time. It's been great to chat to you. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. It's been really fun. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, I'd be really grateful if you could leave a review on iTunes so that other female creatives can enjoy this podcast too. I'll see you next week.